I'm counting I'm count everybody coming back. There's, there's, our coaches are getting calls all over the place. There's all kinds of things going on. I don't know what's going to happen. Guys are involved with jobs that you don't know about, and there's all kinds of things. i got to wait and see what happens. I, I don't know exactly how it's going to go, so we'll just wait. Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll yesterday talking about his desire to have every one of his coaches back on his staff, and boom, we get major breaking news right as we begin recording the 206 Sports Pod with former Seahawks, Washington State wide receiver, member of the Hawks pre- and post-game show on the radio, TV work as well. Mr. Michael Bumpus Bump, how are you? I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, a little hungover from the Seahawk loss, but <laughs> they're making changes apparently, so we'll see. They, they are making changes. We're going to get to it in just a moment. Also with uh, Bill Kruger, former Mariners big league pitcher and Mariners analyst, on a Root Sports Northwest. So, all the coaches will not be back. Brian Schottenheimer, offensive coordinator, let go. Uh, bump, this occurs on the same day the Seahawks announced that uh, one uh, John Schneider will continue on as GM through the 2027 draft. So, massive news. Uh, as much as uh, John is, is significant in his extension, this Schottenheimer thing really seemed to come out of the blue with Pete Carroll saying he he was going to, you know, Shotty was coming back. That was it. And the Seahawks are going to run the ball more next year. Fans aren't going to like it. What do you think took place in those 24 hours? They watched film and they saw that this Rams defense was ready for everything that the Seahawks threw at them. I watched the film and I was disappointed. Yeah, you know, we talked off air and and yes, the players have to make the plays. It's a player's game, right? But it's the coach's job to set them up to make these plays. Russell did hold on to the football. Receivers didn't get open. No denying that. But me personally, I look at the concepts and I'm like, there's no rhyme or reason. There are some things that I saw, guys, after watching that game on Saturday, and I'm scratching my head. I'm like, what is he thinking? What are these guys being coached to do? And when I look at an offense and, and I, I ask myself those questions, I immediately have to go to the offensive coordinator who's Brian Schottenhammer. Pete Carroll had his hands on this offense as well, but Pete Carroll ain't going nowhere. Signed a five-year deal. He's going to retire as a Seahawks. A Seahawk. When you look to point the finger and you look at an offense who went from one of the best in the league to very mediocre, you got to look at Schottenheimer. Something ain't right. Relationship isn't right. So they decided to get rid of him. All right. Let me ask you this though. Um, you mentioned Pete. He is the head coach uh, and he's actually more than that. So doesn't the buck stop with him? I mean, Schottenheimer's got to go to Pete and go, well, Pete, here's my game plan. And Pete can either go, all right, let's do it. Or I don't think that's going to work. So, so what about Pete's responsibility simply as, as head coach, he does oversee all aspects of his football team. Yeah, you're right. And from what I have observed, it's all speculation. I don't know if Pete is calling plays or influencing Schottenheimer when it comes to picking plays, uh, but from what I observed, Pete, definitely has played a role in this. He wants them to run the football more. So what that tells me is that Pete met some resistance when it comes to Schottenheimer. They weren't on the same page. When you sit there, you have your brainstorming sessions and you're on the whiteboard and you're thinking of ideas. That's where you really develop a relationship and it either gets better or it gets worse. It stays the same. This firing tells me that the relationship got worse. It doesn't mean it was hostile. doesn't mean that they don't like each other. It just means that they weren't on the same page when it came to figuring out schemes and a plan on how to beat teams. It goes deeper than just what happens on Saturday for this instance, but usually Sundays. I think it's the relationship. It's the preparation. 
it's the conversation when you're in the, in the middle of a battle. There's a lot of things that kind of determine where relationship goes. I'm not surprised by the move because of what Shadi did at the beginning of the season. Um, but I didn't expect to hear about it today. I was going to give it maybe a week if it was going to happen. All right, let's, um, gosh, there's so many uh, directions to go on this. And, and Bill, here's where I want you to jump in in terms of, you know, Michael talked about how sensational the Seahawks offense was uh, for the first portion of the season. I mean, it was like, you know, 35 point average per game. It, it was lights out kind of stuff. And, and then they hit some bumps in the road. Uh, week nine at, at Buffalo, they did score 34 points, but Russell had uh, turnover issues. And then the next week, it was the first meeting against the Rams. They scored just 16 points. Again, Russell, turnover issues. And I'm just wondering, and Bill, you answer first, and then Michael, you come in. Did they panic offensively in terms of what they were trying to do? Did Pete panic? Did he go, oh, oh we can't, <laughs> we got to get back to what we are known for. Did, were they not as committed as they should have been to letting Russ cook? Or do you agree with that significant tactical change that they made, which clearly did not pay off? They were not a better offense after that. Well, it, the injury bug kind of got them and their backs were hurt. And that took away kind of the, uh, the, the main trump card that Pete likes to play. You want to run the ball and then play action which allows Russell more time for uh, more evolving, developing routes to get people down the field. When you have pass rush, I mean, there's different things you can do. Michael can talk at, at Ozium about that, but, you know, to be able to use your backs and dump the ball off and have a little quicker action to your offense, you know, th those just didn't happen. There wasn't a lot of misdirection. There wasn't a lot of guys changing to try to find different matchups that you're looking for. The Rams were probably a, a terrible, terrible team to run into when you're, you know, maybe uh, at that point in the season where you become much more scoutable. Um, and it happens in sports. I mean, you, you reach a point where people know what you what you do well, and you see them over and over again. They start taking away what you do well, and if you can't adjust to that, the players can't adjust, the coaches can't adjust. You, you got a big problem. And, and if you, do, if you, if you dose in a, 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 a couple of mistakes and all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the tide of the game changes. So, I mean, I think these, uh, these roots that Russell wants to throw that are more, more evolved, you got to have a really, really stout offensive line, or you got to do things to get the pass rush off of him because he's not the Fran Tarkington dazzling scrambler that can just, Hey, bring him on. And I'll just, maneuver around it and then make a play with with uh receivers changing their roots we saw him do that over and over he got sacked so many times this year it was it was tough to watch him getting gobbled up because he's trying to get to a deeper route so um gosh uh, i hate to see a guy uh lose his job when you go 12 and 4 in the season to make the playoffs he must have been doing something right so uh, unfortunately some excuse or some finger pointing i guess had to happen michael did they panic did Pete carroll specifically panic over those two games, should they should they have remain committed? Maybe dial it back a bit, but but continue on this track of trying to exploit Russell Wilson, who was tracking on an MVP caliber season. No, I don't think he panicked. I think he saw 10 turnovers in four games and knew we can't win like that. But how do you still allow your quarterback to be aggressive and throw the ball down the field and not take those risks. I think he looks at a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who has what 44 touchdowns and five interceptions. 
and says, we have a guy who can do that. Or it looks at Patrick Mahomes, who has 40-something touchdowns, less than 10 interceptions. And he says, we got a guy who can do something like that. Why aren't we able to do those things? And I, I think that it comes down to <clears throat> this finding a guy that you can vibe with. I've, I've been on a lot of coaching staffs. It's high school level, not college um, or the pros, but I've been on a lot of staffs where the vibe just isn't right. We've even won ball games, have been to the playoffs, and the vibe just isn't right. This is not a good working environment. We don't see things progressing further than now. So you decide to cut ties with guys. And I think that's what happened. Maybe he has a vision for the way the game is supposed to be played. And let's not forget Russell Wilson. You think Russell Wilson isn't in Pete Carroll's ear talking about, man, I can't work with this guy or I can work with this guy. I like this. I don't like that. Uh, Pete Carroll's going to get a lot of it, but let's not forget Russell Wilson has been here nine years. He is an extension of the coaching staff. If he ain't happy, he's going to Pete and I'm going to go on a limb and say, Russell Wilson has something to do with this decision. Okay, let me ask you this, though. That's, I think that's a really good point, because when you think about – I'll put it to you this way. I, I can't imagine in Green Bay that Aaron Rodgers doesn't sign off on each and every game plan. I can't imagine that Tom Brady during his career with the Patriots and now in Tampa doesn't sign off on every element of a game plan. And if he doesn't like it, I think Brady's going to speak up. If he doesn't like it in Green Bay, I think Aaron Rodgers is speaking up. I'm, I'm curious – is Russell a guy during the course of the week and the implementation of a game plan, is he going to speak up and go, hey, this is our third meeting with the Rams. I don't think this is going to work. I don't think we're going to be able to move the ball like we want to. Does, does Russell Wilson do that, or is he a guy that's going to complain after the fact? I think he is becoming a guy who's going to do that, but at this point I think he's an after-the-fact guy. This is, a, this is the first year. Honestly, the last two years, in my opinion, have been the years where Russell Wilson has reached – superstar status and you know he'll never be the best quarterback in the league people are going to knock him for this and that but he's reached that superstar status and i think this is the first move that we've seen out of him reaching that superstar status and being like look this is what i want i've been here for x amount of years i've broken all these records i'm one of the best quarterbacks to ever play within the first nine seasons you look at russell wilson's stats the first nine seasons seasons wins loss touchdowns um, he's one of the best top three or four and he's reached that status now to where he knows he has influence. But now he's got to back it up because he's going to get his guy in here now. And there's going to be no more excuses. This is the first year where he's going to have the most input on the offensive coordinator that is here. So we'll see what happens. All right. Let me see if I can pull this off, Michael. I'm going to put you on the stand and I'm going to try to prosecute a case advocating for the Seahawks to remain committed to throwing the football. And I want you to blow me out of the water and tell me I'm absolutely wrong. First of all, the rules of the game in terms of how it impacts an offense. If you are a passing team, if you are a wide receiver, do the rules in the NFL favor you as a receiver and as an offense throwing the football? Most definitely. Okay. Most definitely. Okay. You have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Would you consider them at the very least one of the top five receiving tandems in the NFL? Easy, yes. Okay. Uh, in terms of a left tackle, a blindside blocker for your elite-level quarterback, do you, do you clearly have one of the best in Dwayne Brown? Top eight. Okay, top eight. I'll take top eight. Um, okay, so let's take that. Acknowledging, I think there are certainly weaknesses on that offensive line. You, you do have an excellent – we talked about him last week. You've got an excellent running back in Chris Carson, who may or may not be back. He's on his way to – 
uh, unrestricted free agency. But he's not Marshawn Lynch. He's not beast mode. I don't, he's not Hall of Fame, at least not yet. So taking all of that evidence, have I made a case that going too far back toward the run is not utilizing the talents that you currently have on your roster, and especially with Metcalf and Lockett? Have I, have I sold you on, on that perception? Um, no. I tried. I, well, ah. actually, you know what? You know what? I'm, I'm actually with you. You need to throw the football. I think most of your talent is at the quarterback position on offense, quarterback position, and at the receiver position. So you have to throw the ball. I think it's how you run the ball and when you throw the ball. I just did a breakdown for 7-10, and I just looked at all the third downs that the, the Hawks had on, um, on Saturday. Third and seven, 27, six, 10, three, four, nine, one, 24, one, and five. Obvious rundowns, third and three, four, one, and one. Those are five downs. They ran the ball two times. So I think it's, it's timely runs, picking the right time to run the football and not trying to get too cute and then being creative. I just saw a breakdown on the Rams run game. They make so many things look the same in their run game. Their run game and their pass game look exactly the same sometimes. One guy would do something different, and they'll give the deception that they're going to pass the football. I think that's what it comes down to. Creativity. Yes, run the football. Your running backs need the rock, especially if you have Chris Carson back there. But be creative with your run, with your runs. Make your runs look like your passes. That's how, as my guy Ray Roberts has been saying all year, that's how you marry the two. You got it. You can't just line up on obvious pass downs and say, all right, this formation, we're always going to pass out of this. We got five plays out of it. It's being creative in making the defense think you're doing something when you're doing something else. Easier said than done. Let me point out. See, I love when you when you're hitting these numbers hard because the baseball guy, this is this is right up Kruger's alley. Right. The, the hardcore analytic analytics. So, so I did some math today myself. And, and what percentage of plays? Do you think the Seahawks passed this past season on what percentage? Do you know offhand? And I'm not suggesting you should. I just didn't know. I would guess. I would say they passed the ball 52% of the time. Okay. 57%. So I, I looked at that, and I looked at the remaining teams in the playoffs. So these are obviously the successful teams and how their percentage pass versus run broke down. Four teams – Pass the ball at a higher percentage rate than the Seahawks. Buffalo, 59%. Kansas City, 61%. The Rams, 60%. And Tampa Bay with Tom Brady leading the way, 63%. Now, the teams that threw the ball uh, fewer times based on percentage than the Seahawks, Green Bay, 54%. New Orleans, and this is New Orleans with Drew Brees. I took Taysom Hill out of the mix. New Orleans with Breeze, 51%. Cleveland, you got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, obviously. I mean, that's a, a terrific running back tandem. Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, straight up almost dead on 50%. And, and then the, the, the outlier, Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, passed the football only 42% of the time. You know, I, I looked at those numbers, Bill, and what I, I simply said is, thought was, you know, the Seahawks maybe aren't that far off in terms of the amount but I think, Michael, you hit the point. It's how and when. It's the how and when you're throwing the ball and finding ways to break down the opposing defense. Bill, what do you think? 
I think it's spot on. I mean, the, the game, the game of, of, of football, and you watched it last night in the Alabama game, their, their ability to, to move their offensive players around, I mean, it made it horribly difficult. They were already so superior to Ohio State as it was, but they just made it so doggone difficult with the, the ability to create the matchups, the mismatches, uh, the problems, the confusion. Uh, you know, you, you know, it's just like anything. You know, you, the great pitcher, it, you know, over time, you know, there's the guy that can go out there and go, Randy Johnson, yeah, but most of the guys that, that, that win over time are the guys that are contrarian in nature. In other words, I'm going to get you when you think it's fastball, it's going to be off speed, you know, and I can do that when I want to. Plus, I have a feel for the way you like to approach anyway, all of you, all of you hitters. And that's the same deal that's going on here, the cat and mouse that's going on and how creative and how flexible can you be in order to take a team like the Rams that you've seen how many times and, and, and be able to win you know, having played them three times. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, Michael, you're on it. Well, Michael, I'm watching Alabama last night, and look, I'm watching it as a casual fan. I'm admiring what they do. Of course, the local connection is Steve Sarkeesian, the former Husky head coach. Uh, we know about his off-the-field issues, SC, that blew up. You know, he, he ends up at Alabama. He's leaving Alabama with a label of an offensive genius as he takes the head coaching job at Texas after he was considered to be a complete failure as the offensive coordinator for two years in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. So what I'm wondering is, is as we watch this creativity that Sark had at Alabama, are we, is it, is it too different from the pro game? I mean, is, is what he was doing with his players at Alabama, something that just will not work at the NFL level? I think aspects of it will work. I also think that matchups are um, (laughs) you get way more mismatches in college football than you do in the NFL because guys are just better. And Alabama probably can create the most mismatches of any team in college football history just because of the guys that they have recruited at Alabama. Some guys are just better suited for the college football game. Look at Nick Saban. He tried in the NFL. It didn't work out. Did he leave in the middle of a season? Like, just couldn't do it and, and left. Some guys just can't make the jump. Pete Carroll's one of the few guys who has shown that, okay, maybe my style can work. Um, Sark, one, I've always respected his game planning. I've played against him. I was recruited by him. I, the guy is, is a great mind when it comes to finding mismatches. We saw that last night with Devontae Smith, what, 12 catches, 200-some yards, three touchdowns, first half. And he did things to get him the ball. NFL, it's harder to do that. You force the ball to DK, you give the Rams – um, a sign of what you're going to do, what happens, pick six. Uh, I have no names. I don't know where they're going in terms of uh, uh, replacing uh, Brian Schottenheimer. The, this just took place. I don't know if, Michael, if you've got anybody that comes to mind. I don't know if you want the job. I'll certainly advocate for you to take the job. <laughs> I will release you from your binding contract here on the podcast. But um, what what type of what type of, you know, we've talked about philosophy, what type of coach, you know, personality wise, creativity wise, th- does anybody just jump out at you? Um, you got enemy over there with uh, the Chiefs. I believe he, he's going to be out there. I put it up on Twitter. So people are, are lighting me up right now. Doug Peterson has been a name that I heard floated out there. Um, coach Peterson, the old UW coach. 
I've heard has been floated out there. Honestly, I don't know. Coach I, Pete, I, you really don't. I anybody who is okay with their with the head coach having input on the offense, you, yeah. you have to be okay with that because Pete is going to throw his two cents in. Whenever he feels like it, he's going to throw the challenge flag when you think he shouldn't. He's going to tell you to go for fourth down when you don't want to. You just got to be okay with working with a guy who's like, look, this is my last five years. I don't have too many left. <laughs> my fingerprints are going to be all over this offense. Yeah. But I would go with somebody who has proven that they can have a 3,500-yard thrower in at a quarterback position and a 1,000-yard rusher. Hit that horn! <laughs> got to get a new horn! Uh, all right. Uh, let, let's put the OC situation to bed. Um, look, I, I think for the most part, you, John Schneider has has done a well above average job with this football team. You know, the, the playoffs have kind of become something that's just taken for granted that they're going to somehow, some way they're going to be in. They're either going in as a division champ or they're going in as a wild card. The problem is since that Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, it's it's what has happened in the postseason. So in the last five postseason games for the Seahawks, Bill, a record of one and four. In the second half of those four losses, the Seahawks have dealt with double-digit deficits in each of those games. 23 points, 10 points, 18 points. Saturday against the Rams, 17 points. That is, and I know the personnel changes, so it's it's not a, a true trend, but that's a trend. And that's going to bite you in the ass every single time or at least almost every time in postseason football you're playing a quality team you're dealing with a 23 18 17 point 10 point deficit you're in some serious trouble so um in terms of of john and pete they don't want that either i get that but that what is what has to change to get back to some postseason success short of developing one of the greatest defenses in NFL history like they had with the Legion of Boom, which obviously um, was their ticket to success in those back-to-back Super Bowls. Well, I think the Legion of Boom yeah. was, was, a, was its own animal, and uh, it was the, uh, the force to be reckoned with. And uh, Russell was more of a game manager with a, with a, with a ferocious back. And then the, the, the team evolves. All teams evolve, and they've evolved around being an offensive team now where Russell's a terrific uh, long ball thrower, a clutch player. And we need to understand better what makes Russell tick. What types of throws is he really good at? What's the timing of the offense that allows him to be most successful? We've seen him play faster and play better. You have to be healthy. There's obviously needs. Uh, again, you need to keep reinforcing the offensive line. Um, it would seem to me they're obviously going to have to deal with trying to find a back. The one thing I, when I watch the Seahawks, again, an uneducated eye, is they tend to be kind of a, a counterpuncher. They kind of get punched, and they kind of do this and do that, and a little bit of rope-a-dope, and kind of get you to half, and then they start to sort you out a little bit. But if you fall behind too much, and you're forced, to, you're forced into being one-dimensional, uh, and against a good team, that's a problem, right? So uh, maybe there's a, there's a little bit of a, a pace and a desire to sort of stick it to people early and bring your offense to the table and say, here we come, we're going to score. Um, yeah, that's just sort of a, a sense of it. I mean, I think the bar is set awfully high. I think this is a winning high quality organization that will continue to attract people that like to win. And Pete gives guys room to be successful. So um, they're going to be able to get that, that player 
um, that can come in here and be a difference maker because he knows he's going to have a chance to win and he's going to have a chance to be his himself. So I think there's a lot of reason to think that they can get back and they can move forward in the playoffs further than they have. But, you know, we're, 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 we're asking a lot. It, it's, it's a tremendous accomplishment to make the playoffs year in, year out. And this is a winning team, a winning attitude. They, 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 they really have that. And it's a good culture. So uh, let's not be too critical. Uh, Michael, one of the things that, that I first reacted to when I heard about John's deal, which goes through the 2027 draft, is that Pete's contract is through 2025. I think the assumption is at that point, it's, it's more likely than not that, that Pete would step down, which means, um, barring some changes, John Schneider will select maybe uh, in cooperation with Pete Carroll, who his successor is going to be uh, as head coach in four more years. Yeah, and that's what makes you think that he has to go young, right? You're not going to catch a guy in his mid forties, early forties, who wants to hang around for five years. You catch those guys who are young in their mid thirties, maybe even early thirties who don't mind developing, who don't mind growing underneath uh, Pete Carroll. When I was with the Hawks, Jim Moore was in the wings waiting while Holmgren was, uh, was there and uh, he got his shot. Didn't work out, but I think you need somebody like that. Somebody who doesn't mind uh, just being in the same spot for a few years. Cause I thought Schottenheimer, if Shotty would have finished the season the way he started, he would have been gone anyway. Shotty was going to leave you'll get your head coaching job yeah. while you're hot. So you got to go young. Yeah, that, that raises a really interesting question is, as John and Pete look at who the offensive coordinator, the new one is going to be, are they also going to be looking for someone who could succeed Pete as head coach? And maybe they'll, they'll try to add that layer. Obviously, I think first and foremost, they want the guy that's going to work best with Russell and have a, the most effective offense as, as possible. But maybe somebody – that uh, with four years under under Pete's uh, wing, if you will, could possibly uh, step into that head coaching role. Play ball! We're going to talk now about the uh, the passing of a, a baseball legend, a guy that Bill Kruger played for uh, in two uh, stints with the L.A. Dodgers, Bill. And that's Tommy Lasorda, two-time World Series champion, his, his manager with the Dodgers, uh, passing away. Uh, recently at the age of uh, 93, you know, some of my first uh, memories of Lasorda had nothing to do with uh, his time with the Dodgers. It was times he appeared on the tonight show with Johnny Carson. He was kind of like a, a, an outside member of that rat pack. You know, it was Lasorda, Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin, you know, that whole crew. And Tommy would show up and, and tell his stories on the tonight show. Now we know it's one thing to view a guy from his public persona can be a completely different thing to be in a clubhouse or in a locker room with either a teammate or a coach, or in this case, a manager. What are your, what are your reflections of uh, Tommy Lasorda, the time you spent with him? I, I, I think he was a really charismatic guy. Um, I think he had, he was an unbelievable motivator. Uh, he was really sharp at finding that the edge that he could provide his team um, I don't know that he was the greatest X and O guy that I ever saw. I don't know that he really knew his personnel very well. I mean, I can speak from, from experience having been in the Dodger organization and watching how some players didn't move the way they should have and, and having played with the Dodgers on a couple of different stints, kind of if you were in the loop and if you weren't, um, you know, I wasn't in the loop. Uh, so, you know, my, my experience with Tommy wasn't very good. Uh and I, I just think that a lot of things kind of, he, he rode the, rode the, 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 
He rode the wave of a great organization with great players. And, and I don't think he got in their way. I think he was, he was the right fit for great players, but I don't know that he really uh, has the kind of ability to bring that, 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 that edge to the game that a, that a La Russa could bring to the game. You know, I, I really just didn't feel like he was that way. I think kind of things happened around him, quite frankly. Hersizer coming in and pitching uh, to help them get uh, it come out of the bullpen. I think it was sort of like, did, did Bill Russell tell him to go do that? I kind of think he did. You know, uh, who, 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 Kirk Gibson's down hitting in the cage. Well, I better kind of get uh, pretend that I'm really part of this. Yeah, let's get Kurt up here to hit for you know. And I, I just didn't get the sense that he really was that. And I, I'd be frank with you. I mean, I could bring up some instances. I mean, I was you know. But the bottom line is, is that he had an unbelievable career. I mean, the guy could he could sell uh, pasta sauce on one channel and weight loss on another, both at the same time. I mean, the guy was an unbelievable salesman. His his enthusiasm for the game was real. Um, I, I don't know that he was the nicest guy in the whole wide world all the time, but uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's sad that he passed. I think he was a, a real colorful character and an important part of baseball, and his record cannot be uh, really taken from him because he won championships. You know, uh, people can't see Michael, but uh, he is wearing a hoodie right now that is a true Dodger blue. I don't know if that's a Dodger hoodie you got on, Michael, but we know you're a Dodgers fan. We know you're still rejoicing in the, in the recent World Series title. You have, There it is. Dodgers on one side of the baseball cap, Michael showing Lakers on the other side. Boy, you are just rubbing your success in our faces. Um, do you have any memories from your, your youth of, of Tommy Lasorda? Kind of stand out as a fan? Yeah, I had some good ones until Bill just, man, just killed them for me, man. <laughs> I'm just playing Bill. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, 96, I believe was his last year. Yes. With the Dodgers. Yep. Um, And he was like, he was just like the grandpa. He was like Chick Hearns, the announcer for the Lakers. You know, it was, it was him and Chick Hearns were like our grandpas growing up. With with him, we wanted to, to see him, you know, and just see his personality because he was, I don't know what he was saying in the dugout, but it always seemed like he was moving around and doing something and, and had something to say. I just liked watching the way his body moved. Um, and I'll never forget, man, just the, the Kirk Gibson play, man, when he's running out on the field, getting two inches off the ground, jumping up, you know, that's, that's my memory of the sort of, uh, he's just a legend. He's a, he's a LA legend. Uh, he's won. I think he won in 81 and 88, I believe were the championships that he brought to LA. So before this year, there was no other guy who did that for 31 years, you know? So um, sad that he passed 93 years old. Man, yeah. you give me 93, I'll, I'll be okay. So yeah. tip my I'll hat tell you what, I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and to his credit, in 1988, where I spent a little bit of time with that team, there there isn't a bigger mismatch than there was between the Dodgers and the A's. And I had just come from the A's. I was traded from the A's to the Dodgers. The A's wow. were loaded. And the Dodgers somehow with a one-legged Kurt Gibson and an incredible run by Hersheiser and guys like Mitchie, Mickey Hatcher hitting homers and scratching and clawing their way to wins that just never should have happened. But that's the magic of sports, right? Yeah. And he has to, he has to take credit for that. He did, he did some things. He used some edges uh, to sort of plow into the players. You're not that he was great when you're the underdog, when you're the team that's being looked upon is not that good. He was really good at digging in and making that message strong. So uh, I, I want to give him his due credit uh, for that. 
Very, uh, very cool connection. I didn't realize Billy in that same that's year you've awesome. been with the A's and the Dodgers. Eh? That's 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 eighty-seven, and then I, I was traded yeah. in eighty-seven. But you know, basically, you I, really I well. was there. Yeah. Oh, uh, Michael, when you mentioned Chick Hearn, for the, for folks that don't know, that's the longtime legendary voice of the Lakers. And as soon as you mentioned Chick's name, it re reminded me uh, the Lakers were in Seattle once uh, to play the Sonics at the uh, uh, old Coliseum. I think actually before it was key arena and uh sort of the last minute thing they needed someone to keep stats for chick i somehow ended up keeping stats for chick heard and i can tell wow. you of all the different things i've done in my career over the years that was one of the times i really felt the pressure because you got to do your stats <laughs> and your shots and you know made free throw and all this stuff in real time it's it's a lot to sort of process and and you got the the hit from chick right away you want to make sure you give him the right numbers and the right information <laughs> that, and he was committed to making sure that every single hair was absolutely in place. As many of us who work in TV uh, do approach uh, <laughs> our quaffs when we need to. All right, guys, it's uh, it's time for the stars of the week brought to you by ecliptic brewing, pour some space in your face, ecliptic brewing, Dot com. Find folks down in uh, Portland, Oregon. Great product. I was whining last week. I hadn't had uh, a six-pack of ecliptic beer in, in my uh, garage refrigerator in, in well over a week. Uh, thankfully, my wife resolved that with her Saturday trip to the grocery store, so I'm in a much better mood. Um, Michael, we'll let you go first. Your star of the week. My star of the week goes to no other than Mr. Baker Mayfield. I mean, the way this guy and his team, it was a team effort. The, the Steelers turned the ball over a lot. I get all that, but Baker still had to put a game together. Baker Mayfield, first quarterbacks won a playoff game there since 2002. He was 21 to 34, 263 yards. Three touchdowns didn't wow you with his performance, but he also did not turn the ball over. And I think that was huge. Juju Smith-Schuster was talking crap about the Cleveland Browns prior to the game. He says the Browns is the Browns. Well, the Browns is a team that knocked you out in the first round of the playoffs. Happy for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're officially the team I'm rooting for. Now that right. the Hawks are out, I'm rooting for the, uh, did I call them the Cavaliers? I mean, the Cleveland Browns. I'm rooting I for the Browns. Baker Mayfield, my star of the week. You know, Pete always says, Pete Carroll always says, you can't, you know, you don't win a game in the first, second, or third quarter. You win it in the fourth. The Cleveland Browns put <laughs> up an argument that you can win it in the first quarter. 28 yes. points right out of the gate. That was uh, something. Bill, your star of the week. Who do you have? I'm just, uh, I'm going to work on just the, 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 the adage of the short-term memory loss. So I'm going to stick closest to the timeline of what I saw last night. And it would think, well, that's got to be Dante Jones because he was unbelievable. I'm going to pick Mac. Dante Smith, excuse me. I'm going to pick Mac Jones. I thought that, uh, granted, he had he had all the arsenal in his at his disposal and and a pretty amazing game plan. But I don't know that I've seen a quarterback execute uh, quite as uh, um, as well as he did last night. The numbers, of course, uh, are, are were incredible. And uh, such a smart guy. He, he he definitely raised his stock for the NFL. I mean, he may not be the most elusive fastest quarterback but he could be a guy that makes his mark in the nfl by being really 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 efficient yeah uh, it's, it's a it's a good point and uh look alabama the 52 24 blowout of ohio state nick saban with his seventh national title sixth at alabama i don't think there's any debate he's the greatest 
coach in college football history. And by the way, he had to win his titles in games. It wasn't up to guys voting him in a poll. You know, he's, he, those are, those are earned um, championships. So if you're captain Nick Saban, Alabama, they're going to lose a lot of guys and nobody cares because we all know they're going to reload. Um, my star of the week, if I were to give you guys, uh, I'm going to give you some hints, see if you can, I, who, who I'm thinking of. One of the biggest names in all of sport, as successful as any, another hint, head coach could be in his sport and yet seemingly insufferable. Do you know who I'm talking about? Bill Belichick. Boom. There it is, Michael. <laughs> Bill Belichick is my star of the week because in the wake of what occurred last week in our nation's capital concerns that we have uh, potential violence ahead. We're in a very scary time. Bill Belichick, who has had a uh, well-known friendship with the outgoing president, has uh, declined to accept from that outgoing president the Medal of Freedom based on what he saw last week. So, even though I've never been a fan of his, all credit to he's a great, great coach. I just find his like, can you just show a little joy in your success? So we all feel better about it. Uh, and he's just kind of a pain in the ass to the media <laughs> simply because he can be. But I'm going to give him uh, I'm going to give him credit. He made a call on this one. He's going to decline that medal. Bill Belichick is my star of the week. And those are your stars of the week brought to you by Ecliptic Brewing out of this world beer. Learn more about their uh, outstanding line of refreshing beverages at ecliptichbrewing.com. I think, I don't know if I sent you guys this information as we jump back to the NFL. I think the AFC is in line to be the dominant conference for the next 10 to 15 years. And I'm going to tell you why. Take a look at the average age of the starting quarterbacks uh, this weekend in the NFL divisional round of the playoffs. In the NFC, the average age 37 years, 77 days. Of course, leading the way, the two geezers who are going to face off in Tom Brady and Drew Brees. All right. The average age of the starting quarterbacks in the AFC playoff games this weekend, 24 years, 344 days. Now mm -hmm. dig a little deeper. Here's some of the names of other starting quarterbacks in the AFC. Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson, Justin Herbert, Drew Locke, Tua Tungavaiola, coming into the AFC, we presume with Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. We'll see where they end up. Now go to some of the starting quarterbacks not in the playoffs in the NFC. Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, you do have... To try to be to try to be fair, you do have Kyler Murray. You have Dak Prescott. I would still consider Dak on the younger side. Mitchell Trubisky, younger, but what do we what do we have there? Jalen Hurts, we'll see. Michael, it seems like in the most important position in the NFL, it ain't even close in terms of the future and maybe in terms of the present, when you talk about <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Baker yeah. Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, versus where they are in their careers, Brady, Breeze, Rogers, and, and the youngster of that group, Jared Goff. What do you think? 
I think you present a really good point right there. As you're naming the teams, I'm looking at the divisions. Tom Brady's out of the AFC East. Josh Allen owns that one. Ben Roethlisberger, I feel like if his, his good days are over with. Toss up, you can go Mayfield or Lamar Jackson, who won the MVP last year. AFC South, you got Deshaun Watson, you got Trevor Lawrence coming in. Tannehill's kind of in the middle when it comes to all that. And then the AFC West, you got Drew Locke, he'll probably be gone. But you got Patrick Mahomes and Herbert. Now I'm with you, man. That, that That's a great point. That's a great point. You need a quarterback. I always, always think of the, I forgot what team it was, the Baltimore Ravens when they had Trenton Dilfer and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they had Brad Johnson, and they both won Super Bowls with an incredible defense. I think those days are over. Just because of some of the points that you said earlier, it's an offensive game, and you need a quarterback who's going to throw that thing all across the field and be there for a while. And you're right, man. That AFC is looking pretty tough. The only young guys in NFC I see are Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Teddy Bridgewater is kind of in that gray area and Kyler Murray. And I should have mentioned Daniel Jones with the giants. Right. And and he's, he's iffy. They don't know what they have in in that guy. So the, the actual young talent to get excited about is, is clearly for the most part uh, over in the AFC. And the other part about this is look, maybe, maybe Tom Brady can play forever. Maybe 10 years from now, we'll be talking about, you know, 53 year old Tom Brady going to another Super Bowl. This is, this could be Drew Brees' last game this, this weekend. But because you have a Russell Wilson in his prime, you must take advantage of that. There's less quarterback competition in the NFC. It's going to be much tougher to get to Super Bowls in the future, in my opinion, in the AFC with Allen and Mahomes and Lamar and maybe Herbert and those guys battling each other. Are you kidding me? going to be killing each other. But Russell's path should not be as difficult if he has the right pieces around him, at least to get back to the Super Bowl. All right. Uh, hey, Bill, we're going to end it up uh, with you here as we, we circle back to baseball. There's this whole thing going on. I don't, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. The Angels for years uh, had a longtime visiting clubhouse manager by the name of, of Brian Harkins. Do you know him? Yeah. That ring a bell? Okay. So yeah. he's, he's caught up in this scandal where he has been over the years, the angels let him go. He's suing them, uh, claiming he's a scapegoat because of his involvement in providing pitchers throughout baseball with something called go-go juice. It's a combination of rosin and pine tar. Uh, pitchers apparently like to use it in cold weather. I'm not saying exclusively in cold weather, but cold weather to get a better grip on the ball. Among the pitchers who apparently have used this substance in in recent years, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Corey Kluber, Adam Wainwright, and Felix Hernandez. My question to you is, and you would know better than any of us by a long shot, is using that substance about cheating, about trying to get an advantage, or is it about safety because you in cold weather games need a better grip. So you're not drilling guys at the plate. Tell us about this. What, what does this all mean? Uh, I can tell you that uh, grip and pitchers are pretty synonymous and uh, we can get a, a long discussion about it. I, I don't have a problem with it. I think you, you, you have to be discreet. I don't think there was ever a, 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 a go-go juice. I mean, we're still talking about the same stuff. We're talking about pine tar and rosin. Um, you know, it's the same stuff the hitter's using. And it's not about making the ball move. 
or defacing the ball or doing anything to the ball. It's literally getting just a little bit of tack so you can grip the ball. Let me try to, without getting too long-winded about this, and, and I'll be frank about it, I, I had grip problems. I had really, really, really uh, profusely sweat, and I had a lot of trouble gripping the ball. Let me explain something to you. You play with a high seam ball your whole life. Little League, American Legion, high school, college, if you go to junior college, even in the minor leagues. And then they get to the big leagues. They give you a flat Charlie Brown mound. They give you a tiny strike zone and they hand you a cue ball and they say, go get the best guys out. Now, I'm not trying to say that I'm trying to, that, that the grip. So there were grip issues and you just have to be, it's not, you know, sliming pine tire on your neck. I mean, it's just simply having some place to go where you can get a little bit of tack so you can grip the baseball. I think this is a mountain. You're making a mountain out of a molehill here. All pitchers need tack. The low seam ball is here to stay because why? searching for outperformance by the ball because we cannot shoot the performance supposedly into the players. So we got to get it out of the baseball and believe me, there's a grassy knoll associated with that baseball. And we could get into a longer discussion about <laughs> how I believe that and why I believe that and what facts I may have to that uh, story about how they can sort the ball to get outperformance. Right. Why are they made in the jungles of Panama or, you know, Haiti or wherever they make them. Why can't they just boom in a glass house in St. Louis? They're just the major league ball. Can't we watch them make them? Why can't they make them all the same? We got the technology. Why do we have to have them made someplace like that? Well, that's, they're that expensive. They need to get the uh, global competitive advantage. Yeah. I, so getting back to your point, I don't know about this silly stuff that Harkins has been accused of uh, pine tar and rosin. Okay. So if I would ask, stuff, it's on the batting circle. So this would be, in terms of uh, if we were to grab any position player, a guy that, that steps to the plate, he would not have an issue with any of these pitchers using that substance. It, do, it doesn't put them at any disadvantage. I, I don't think so. Okay. Right. I think defacing the ball does, um, but this isn't defacing the ball. And I think the hitter wants to know that the pitcher's got a good grip on the ball. So, right. I mean, I they're, they're going to they're gonna argue, they're gonna argue it and say that anything they can do to, to hurt the pitcher, they'd want it to happen. Of course, that's just gamesmanship, right? All right, you've I'm cleared just being it up. Frank with you, it's, it's no, I'm the, glad it's in the game. Love it. Yeah, I saw this story, and I'm like, I don't know if this is a big deal or not. But people saying, well, it's 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 another element of cheating. Is it as bad as steroids? Obviously, from your perspective, it's not even close. It's not cheating at all. It's um, it's just looking for a better grip. I mean, it's not like these guys are walking out there with Lester Hayes stick them dripping off their hands. If you want to flash back to you know, his time in the secondary with the Raiders. Well, guys, I, I wish, I wish we'd had something to talk about this week. We didn't even get into the Seahawks unrestricted free agents. We'll, we'll do that as that story uh, evolves. Cause it's, it's a long list with some key people like Chris Carson, KJ Wright, uh, Shaquille Griffin. So we'll, we'll do that uh, next week, but guys, thanks so much. Boy, the big news again, Brian Schottenheimer, right. As we began recording out as offensive coordinator, for the Seahawks, and uh, that will be a story we will follow as well right here on the 206 Sports Pod as the candidates become clear. Bump, always a pleasure. Bill, same. We'll do it again next week. Guys, always appreciate the insight, the education, and the invaluable information. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. 